Pine Church. It's absolutely great to see you. And um, if you have a Bible, you can open it at 1 Samuel. If you have a Bible, you can open it at 1 Samuel 22. And um, my message this morning is entitled, Strengthen. Strengthen. How many people know the Lord is mighty in battle? How many people know that it has never been the Lord's intention that we be weak or lose in any battle? It was the Lord's intention that if he's mighty in battle, we would be too. And I just love when you read from Genesis to Revelation, where God's heart is never to leave his people defeated, fearful, or weak. His heart has always been to strengthen his people. We got two amazing events coming up, as you just heard, ladies and men's nights. They're designed to create a context, a space, where men could come and strengthen, and ladies come and strengthen each other with encouragement. But that has never, ever been intended to be a replacement for another kind of strengthening that must come first. And if the other one comes first, then when you get together and get strengthened, the encouragement goes in and your muscle, your spiritual muscle goes strong. And so we're going to begin in 1 Samuel 22. We're going to enter a drama right now of a man who was certainly not in a strong place. In fact, He's probably been in the place that some of us have been at some point. He's probably in the weakest place of his life. He has struggled. I mean, some of you guys know what struggle is. This is the mother of all struggles. David, in verse 1, will begin, says he left Gath and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress, he wasn't alone in that weak place. All those who were in stress, debt, discontented, gathered around them, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. David is on the run from a, an insane, demonic madman. Everything that could go wrong seemed to go wrong in his life. He's at that place where you've been and you think, I got nothing left to give. Everything, every good thing, every good thing I believed in is gone. He's hiding. That's not the moment when you want 400 needy people to show up who are in distress, they're in debt, and they're discontented. And he's in that weak place. Is this message for anybody here this morning, or am I talking to the steel beams? I believe God's Word never, ever returns without fruit. I told the gate church at the 40th anniversary that I love to preach there, because the last time I preached there, the Word returned with fruit. I got a daughter-in-law and six grandparents. I don't doubt the Word of God, and it returns with fruit. He's hiding. 
And David, the Bible says, got up one more time. And for the next 10 years or so, he works his socks off to lick into shape 400 weak, beat up men. And he turns them and takes them the best part of 10 years into a mighty giant killing army. Things are going good until the next moment shows up. 1 Samuel 30. We're jumping right through the stories here and we see that David is under major attack. He's in, he thought he was in a weak place. He's now in even a much weaker place than he could ever imagine. How many people know that God takes us to the weak place to reveal himself and to reveal his glory in us in the weak place? Because there's nothing left of us that can take any glory. God shapes us in the weakest place. He, he reveals his glory in us and demonstrates his strength in us in the weakest place. But here we go. David is back at square one. In fact, he's sub square one. 1 Samuel 30, it says, Then David and his men, they reached Ziglag on the third day. Now the Amalekites... The Amalekites were like ISIS of the day. They had raided the Negev and Ziglag, and they had attacked Ziglag and then burned it. And they took captive all the women and everyone else in it, young and old. They killed none of them, but they carried them off as they went on their way. David and everybody is in a, they're in a bad place. And David hears about this, and he reached Ziglag, and they found it. Everything had been robbed from them. The women found everything. They're in a terrible place. And David heads out there, and he found his place destroyed by fire, and he found the wives and sons and daughters. Couldn't get any worse, guys. Hey, you've all been in a place where you couldn't get any worse. Maybe it could when you read this story. So David and his men... They wept aloud. They wept aloud. Men weeping. And they had no strength left to weep. You know, when, when, when you're weak, you want to cry. But when you've got no strength left to weep, that, that, that's the weakest place. It, the story is here not to bring negative, but it's here to encourage us to discover the tools that make us strong, the tools we can give to our children to raise them up strong. David's wives had been captured, and um, David was greatly distressed because the men, the men, do you know what? The men now were talking of stoning him. Every single one, everyone, everyone. It'd be nice if there was just one. You, have you ever had a moment when you thought it'd be nice just to have one wee friend left? <laughs> <laughs> David, every one of them was bitter in spirit because his sons and daughters. You know, you've all faced rejection in your life, but hey, have you faced this kind of rejection? He's rejected by his king, he's rejected by his Israelites, and he's rejected even by his enemies. 
You know, when the devil rejects you, you know, you know it's a bad day. And then to cap all that, on top of all that, the 400 mighty warriors that he gave 10 solid years to, they want to stone him. Has anybody had a bad day like that before? <laughs> and um, who wouldn't, who wouldn't look in the mirror and go, do you know what, I've, I've, I've been, a, you know, I don't have anything left. I don't know if I could go on another day. Who wouldn't jack in at that moment? But the Bible says that David did something unbelievable. He did something amazing to turn it all around. He did, he did the same thing as I did when Alan's sermon came on iTunes last week. And uh, he talked about the favor of God and so many great things. You know, if you've not heard that sermon, you have to hear that sermon because you cannot come out amazing word of God where he got the strength to stand here on the weekend of losing his beloved brother and pour out strength into the people of God from the living God is mind-blowing. But David did something that if we could teach our children, if we could apply in our daily lives, we would see a turnaround like you cannot believe. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, depending on how you look at that, you might think, well, that's awesome. Or you might think, well, there was, there was nobody left there was nobody else left to do it. You can choose whatever way you want to hear that, but David does something incredible. He strengthened himself in the Lord. God had promised us that we would rule and reign in life. That takes strength. That's God's promise. That's our identity, that we be seated with Christ and that we be strong enough to rule and reign in life. That's God's whole purpose in taking you through a trial. Not that you would lose or be defeated, but there would be, there would be nothing left of you and me of the flesh, but everything of God and His glory. How many people know that God's, God chooses the fires we need to go through? <laughs> if we were to choose them, we'd maybe choose a different barbecue. Who wouldn't want to know what tools did David use to strengthen himself in the Lord? Because, you know, children are facing, I had a wonderful invitation by St. Margaret's Church across the road. They're going to speak to the men's breakfast yesterday morning, 10 men. Wonderful. I think two of them were under 40, some of them were 75 years of age, but I was so inspired with every one of them. 75 years of age, wanting to know what are the tools that we could use as a church to reach the young people of this community and raise them up strong for Jesus? I was, they were apologizing the whole time the numbers were low. And I said, I'm telling you what, I'm exploding with you, every one of you. One 75 former uh, scout leader said, I don't know if I could do anything for the young people, but I could teach them how to tie a knot because I'm a former general in the scouts. And I said, oh, man, I said, do it, because if they're from Tuch, they'll tie you in knots. But anyway, marvelous, marvelous, marvelous that they wanted to know what the tools were. And when your world caves in, when all seems lost, 
When trouble shows up in your work, when it shows up in your finances, when it shows up in your marriage, when it shows up in your health, and, and you read the Bible and the Bible tells you to strengthen yourself, who don't want to know what the tools are? Who, who don't want to know what tools when a little baby is born? I lay all week thinking about this baby Amy, and I was thinking, if I had my children all over again, and there was 20 tools, and I was only allowed three, what three would I choose to build them up and make them strong in the mind and the soul and body and strong in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I suspect that David doesn't make it very clear, but if you know enough about the Psalms and David, you can see that David pretty much would use the same tools, the only tools he ever knew to use. And if we turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, we're going to find free tools right there. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how young your baby is or how old you are, if you take these three tools, a lot of, a lot of people want Bible, 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 but, 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 but the Bible, the book is only good if you walk in it and you stand in it and you apply it daily in your life. And, and so it's, more, it's important to get Bible, but it's equally important to walk in it and stand in it. Three tools in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Imagine if your children grow up with us. Number one, rejoice always. Oh, yeah, beauty. Which mother in the house would not love a wee child that doesn't know how to spell boring? Rejoice always. There's a lady written a book. She's got about two million viewers called Grit. And she's saying, you know, millennials, those in their 2030s, they don't know how to fight anymore. They struggle to have grit because they got awards for just participating, <laughs> for just showing up. You used to get awards for achievement at one time. Now, we have this crazy situation. And so, she says, what if instead of giving your children rewards for just showing up, teaching them how to have grit, how to overcome in the moment and not quit, how to trust God in the moment and come through in the moment and rejoice in God in the midst of circumstances? Number one, two. Number second, two, pray continually. Imagine little child, children growing up. We saw in Argentina in the revival, eight, nine, ten, eleven-year-old children on fire for Jesus. And when we arrived there, they, by the hundreds and thousands, gathered around us and laid hands on us. Because as little children, they learn to know God shows up when you pray. And when a child prays in its innocence and its faith, you can see amazing miracles. And we saw Amazing revival happened. 200,000 people just in one church, Hector Jimenez's church, through the prayers of little children. So imagine if we could teach, train our children when instead of doubting, instead of worrying, instead of losing sleep, instead of, you know, Stephen told me last week that young Amelia, two years of age, two years of age, she said, Granddad, I had a bad dream. Oh, did you, sweetheart? It wasn't about me, was it? No, no. I had, a, I had a bad dream, and it was a snake. A bad green snake showed up in the dream. I said, sweetheart, come to granddad. Granddad's going to pray. Granddad's going to bind that snake and kick that snake right out of your life. She says, no, you're too late. My daddy did it last night. 
Hey, is that what you call faith? Come on, give it up for the Lord Jesus. No. You're wasting your time, Granddad. It's gone. I says, where did he put it? He says, right out that window, Granddad. Right. I'm telling you, I saw more faith in that child than I've saw in my mirror for a lot of years. Second two. And the third one, which I'm going to home in on today. Because I think it's the most un- underused tool in the body of Christ. I think it's a supernatural tool. I think it's a, it's a tool that will bless families. It will bless your life. It will bring heaven down. And I think it's grossly, grossly underestimated and underused. The third tool to build into children, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks for this is God's will for you. This is, you know, people all over, I, I, you get the millennials, the 2030s, and people are oh, spending 10 years wondering what's the will of God. There's the will of God right there. Just read the book. The will of God is very simple. You're in the will of God if you're rejoicing in, in God each day. You're in the will of God if you're praying and trusting Him against the odds. You're in the will of God if you're giving thanks in every circumstance. Now, you can't, you can't give thanks in every circumstance if your identity is tied to the circumstance. But if your identity is tied to what God says about you, you're a king, you're a priest, you're mighty, you're the head and not the tail. If it's connected with that, then it don't matter what comes against you, doesn't matter what defeat faces you, you know you're on the winning side, and one way or another, in due time, you're going to come through in massive, massive victory. That's how you can rejoice and give thanks always. Let's give it up for God. Come on, guys. And every one of these tools, I'm going to fire through quickly a number of things about thanksgiving. Some you may never heard before. Thanksgiving connects you with your identity and not your circumstance. Turn to the person next to you and say, your identity in God is amazing. Turn to the person on the other side and say, it is not determined by your circumstances. David's circumstances was losing. David's circumstances was distress. David's circumstances was defeat. David's circumstances was 400 of your best warrior army you've trained all want to stone you to death. That was his circumstances, but he could strengthen himself because his identity was not tied to the circumstance. It was tied to what God says about him and that I'm going to raise you up as a mighty warrior in the kingdom of God. Thanksgiving shuts off the circumstances by the power of God and it ties you into your identity. That's the power of thanksgiving. So when the devil comes and this and that, you go, oh, thank you, God. I'm a child of God. Thank you, God, that you laid it all on for me. Thank you that you're equipping me, that you didn't make me timid. Thank you, God. And you begin to praise until you're back into your identity. That's what thanksgiving does. The second thing, uh, the second thing thanksgiving does, it ushers you into the presence of God. How many people know here what, what it's, it's like to have that wonderful feeling of being in the presence of God? Come on. How many people know that one fear, one phone call, one, one letter from the tax ban is enough to put the lights out on the presence of God? Thanksgiving puts the lights out on the brown letters. It puts the light out 
on that fear. It puts the lights out on that doubt. Thanksgiving brings you back into the presence of the living God. Why do you think Psalm 100 verse 4 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise? Give thanks to him and praise his name. And I tell you what, if you want to go to any country in the world to see this in action, you must go to Africa. What about Irene's word this morning? She's supposed to be talking to the baby, but she begins to deliver an amazing message about thanksgiving. I give thanks, she says. I give thanks for David. I give thanks for Helen. I give thanks. I give thanks. I give thanks. And as she's saying, oh God, give me some of that stuff. Whatever that African woman's got, give me some of that stuff. It's called appreciation. It's called gratitude. It's called understanding that every good thing comes from the living God. And the moment we return thanks, it ushers us out of the fear and out of the circumstance, out of the depression, out of the brown letters, back into the presence of the living God. It's a supernatural thanksgiving. We've got to get this thing going. The third one. This is a beauty. How many people know what depression is? There's a thousand and one, there's a thousand and one definitions, of te- de- definitions of depression, but I want to share with you the best one I heard this week. That from a top New York psychologist and psychiatrist, he said this week, depression is very simple. It's inertia. It's basically doing nothing. And the advice he gives to all his patients is, whatever you do, do something. You see every day with a toddler in your house to get ratty or whatever, whatever, just take them outside. Just take them outside for 10 seconds and they run about the grass, they're brand new. Depression is doing nothing. So when the floods come and the darkness comes and and the, the depression comes, Give thanks. Do something. Think of something. The, the little old saints used to use the word, count your blessings. And I'll tell you, you'll be shocked. You'll be shocked how many blessings you could come up with. Do something when depression shows up. And if you're going to do something, do what the Bible says. And take a moment and give thanks to God. And I'm telling you what, if you spend five minutes giving thanks, giving thanks, giving thanks, the Spirit of God will break the curse of depression in that moment. It will break darkness for you. Let me give you a, a, a verse from the Bible to back this up. Romans 1, 21, it says, although they knew God, listen carefully, they knew God, they glorified him as God, but they never gave thanks to him. Woofed! There's a beauty. They knew God, but they never glorified God, and they never gave thanks to him. So what happened? Their thinking became <whistles> naff. That's the message version. It says, it says, um, the thinking became futile, empty, going nowhere, dead end, depression. And then it says, and their foolish hearts got darkened. You all know what it means to be in a dark place. You all know what it means to go, oh man, nothing's gonna work, nothing's gonna come through me. I'm telling you something, thanksgiving, keeps that 
depression, futile thinking from your heart. It will chase away because it will usher you out of that dark thing back into the light of the living God. Number four, very quickly. How many people have heard the stushy in the media this week about Asda, Tesco, and different places selling halal meat? Anybody reading the, the stushy that's in the media about reading about... How many people know that Asda and Tesco allegedly sell halal meat? Only a few people. Well, they do. How many people know that a lot of the Indian meals you're eating every other night are halal meat? And that's, that's a big conscience issue for Christians. It's a big conscience issue because what do you do when meat has been sacrificed in a way and blessed in a way that isn't consistent with your faith? Well, I've got great news for you. My Bible says Thanksgiving fixes that problem. And you could go and buy whatever blooming meat you want. You could go and buy whatever meat you want. As long as you put brown sauce on it, it is blessed. Now I'll give you a verse for it. Thanksgiving sanctifies your meal. That's what the Bible says. It cleanses it from everything. I won't tell you what happened to our meal. Am I allowed to tell what happened to our meal last night, Elman? No, I'm not allowed to tell. No, 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 no. no. I knew it. Eh? All my best stories, Ian, I'm not allowed to share. But, but something happened with our meal last night. I'll keep you guessing. And at some point, the Holy Spirit will give us permission to reveal it to the world. Okay, 1 Timothy 4.1. Come on, we're doing Bible, guys. The Spirit clearly says in later times, some will abandon their faith. Some will follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such, demons, such teachings come from hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe. And they know the truth. For everything God has created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Let's give it up for the living God. Come on, he's amazing. That's not, I'm, I'm just reading what the Bible, I'm not even adding or taking it. I'm telling you what the Bible says. Doesn't even matter if a ranger supporter made you that meal if you give thanks for it, which is not an easy one. If you give thanks for it, it's good. God bless the rangers, Gregor. They've got one fan left that's good. <laughs> Number five. Thanksgiving spreads the joy and goodness of God everywhere you go. Thanksgiving spreads. Was anybody in Dunfermline trying to get in the Kingsgate yesterday and uh, the barrier was broken down and the guy was trying to fix it and the cars were queued right out onto James Street? Was anybody, anybody else there? <laughs> I'm the only plonker in the house. Stuck in this queue, moving two inches at a time. And we get to the top of the queue and there's a guy fixing the, the barrier and putting a yellow coin in, taking one out and putting this in and putting this in. Maybe every two minutes he would let a car in. The guy was tearing his hair out and all sweating like a beast and people were like giving it loudly. On the way out, he was still there. Maybe 10 cars got through every five minutes. The cars are queued out. I shouted at him as I'm coming out. 
I said, hey you. And swearing and I said, you're doing an amazing job. Amazed, I can't believe that you even can get one car through with that stupid machine. And he's looking at me and he's waiting for the punchline. He's waiting for the blow. I said, hey, chill man. I just wanted to say thank you. You're doing an amazing job. That guy had no idea what to do. I think he went, he filled his nappy on the spot, Hannah. Unbelievable. Thanksgiving. Can you imagine the stress? Can you imagine how many people give him a hard time? Can you imagine what his day was like? Can you imagine what it's like when one person, just one, bucks the trend, takes a moment to say, thanks for keeping the cars moving in the Kingsgate car park. Thanksgiving. Imagine if you decide today, tomorrow I'm going to find seven people to thank. Every time somebody gives your child a little gift, get us down, get two pounds of these little thank you cards and sit down with them and train them to write thank you cards out. It's more than just a little thing. It's birthing in them a supernatural gift from God that if it goes in young and they apply all their days, it will release supernatural blessings in their life like nothing else. Six, number six. Thanksgiving strengthens your faith because it reminds you God never fails you and he never will. Hey guys, you're going to be like David. You're going to do, you're going to do kindnesses for people. And they, they're just going to want to kill you. I remember I had a flashback this morning. A flashback this morning of, there's a little boy, my best friend in Dunfermline. I think he was the richest boy I knew in Dunfermline because he had a uniform for school when he was eight. Him and I became friends. We were at the opposite end of cultures and in resources and things. But he came up with an idea that we cycle every day and we take turns to make lunch. His father was the headmaster of the high school and they had a motor car, which was rare at that time in our street. Maybe no other, maybe no other streets. But anyway, day one was marvelous. He's on his new Halfords. And I'm on my Willie Russell's scrapyard put together bike heading to the forest. And he brings out his lunch. <laughs> I don't know what was in that lunch. I'd never seen half the stuff in my life before. It was all delicately laid out and done and this and that and this and that. And, oh, I just got lost in the moment. I was, oh, this is, my life is wonderful. Never entered my brain for a minute what would happen at one o'clock the next day when it was my turn. And he said, I'll come to your house and help you make lunch. I wasn't the one. I'm in my house. It was a bit rough at the time. Some of the walls were missing and, uh, you know, it was, it was rough. Anyway, he came down and we raked in the cupboard. And it's Wednesday night. You know, rations, they used to call them in those days. Rations don't arrive till Thursday. It's Wednesday night. That cupboard is bare. All that's left is one loaf of hard breed wrapped in what we used to call greaseproof paper. Anybody remember greaseproof paper? Oh, it was brilliant stuff. You could polish your tables up. Greaseproof paper. There was no butter. There was no cheese bread. There was no margarine. There was nothing to put on it 
bar one jar of sliced pickled beetroot. I'm only nine. How is I to know that bread doesn't hold beetroot unless it's lagered with margarine or butter? But anyway, I thought that's all we got. So we dug it. He couldn't, I sent him off somewhere while I fixed the delicacy. I, I, I put the jar of beetroot on this hard breed and got it wrapped in the crisp paper and basically in your pocket and you're inside your shirt, cycle through the woods and all, and cycle. And he said, it's time for lunch. I said, no, 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 it's not time for lunch. Let's give it another hour. Anyway, we sat down, we sat down and we opened the greaseproof paper. I'm not <laughs> it was the most disgusting splodge you've ever seen in your life. You know what the most wonderful thing is? He ate it and said, thanks. <laughs> come on, give it up for God. He'll come. Oh, no matter. You just do what you can, guys. It might be cream crackers and cheese, but hey, let's not hold back because all that's left in the cupboard is hard breed and a bottle of beetroot. Whatever you got, whether it's the widow's oil or a word or whatever, a prayer, give what you got and God will take care of what you got and fix your butt and strengthen you in the living God like you've never been strengthened before. How many people get a little bit excited about Thanksgiving? Come on. Number seven, I'm firing through there. Thanksgiving will disarm hell and its attacks on your life. It will disarm hell and its attacks on your life. No demon, no spirit, no, not one can stay in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if you're like the gathering demoniac with legions, begin to praise the living God the atmosphere in your home and in your life will change. Number eight. I believe it's, we're getting to the last one. Thanksgiving. One of my favorite ones. There's so many, but Thanksgiving and, and it work with your children. Because, you know, the Bible talks about guarding our hearts. And, you know, the stuff that children have got to face now. We've got to get, help them get something around their heart. And uh, this tool is fantastic because the Bible says that Thanksgiving will put a guard around your heart and it will protect you and keep you in a place of peace. Thanksgiving will put a guard around your heart so when that trouble tries to come at three in the morning or one in the morning, that fiery dart at night, go to sleep in Thanksgiving. When the devil starts speaking to you, get back into Thanksgiving. When you wake up in the morning stuff, start with your Thanksgiving. And before you know it, Philippians 4.1 says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. You believe that, guys? I tell you, when Irene was praying, I had to hold back the tears. It was like the Lord just stepped in the room in that moment. He's near. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. What? Are you right in the heat? Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanks 
giving. It's a supernatural gift from the living God. It's one of the greatest he's ever given, and it's the most unused. Present your request to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts, and it'll guard your mind. And on top of that, it'll transcend all your understanding. In other words, it'll take all that negative understanding, that doubt and fear, it'll transcend that and put it back into faith. Imagine you've got 10 kids. You work all year. You're crafting and knitting and painting and varnishing, and, and, and you're saving up and you're fixing and you're choosing the very best, and Christmas Day comes. You put the 10 gifts on the table. And you, oh, the only reason you're doing it is because you want to see their eyes pop out their head with joy. And all 10 disappear. And you wait. And you wait. Alone you wait. One returns a foreign one and gives thanks. Jesus, it was a big deal to him. Because, you know, when you're in such a state that you stink, your limbs are missing. You've never been invited to a party because you're so ugly. You've never been invited to a wedding. You've never been invited to even a funeral. You've never been invited to play in a team, ladies or men's. You've never been invited into any social gathering. In fact, whenever you go near anything, somebody rings a bell and shouts unclean. You've never managed to have a day with a friend. You've never known a hug in 10 years. You've never had a baby in your arms or had anybody allow a baby to sit on your lap. You've never had a moment where somebody hugged you, kissed you, or invited you to pie and beans night. You've never had a moment where a lady in the shoe shop put your shoes on for you because your food is missing and you're so minging. You're so unclean. And into that situation, along comes somebody you're with nine friends, and he gives you a gift. And the gift doesn't just heal your leprosy. It breaks the social curse on your life where now you can hold the baby for the first time. Now you can get invited to weddings and parties. Now you could dance with your partner like everybody else. Now you could go to the market store and buy some fruit like everybody else. Imagine receiving a gift like that. And then Jesus waits. And one comes back. The Bible says, foreigner. And says thanks. You've all been there. You've all done your best. Blessed. Given. And you've waited. And you don't do it for the thanks. You don't do it for the reward. You don't do it for a like on Facebook. But hey, it's nice to get one now and again, eh? When it's taken you all year. Mothers. You've all been in that place. Seven days it's taken you to clean that room. Tommy comes home and said, where's my notebook? You've been tidying my room again. It was bro before and you made a mess yet now. I can't find a thing. You've all been in that place. But that's not written there to discourage nobody. That's written there to let us see the 
power, the supernatural power of raising a child with the gift and the tool of thanksgiving. Because we can let the kid know that their identity is tied to what Christ says about them, not the circumstance. But imagine if the child, you didn't have to tell them ever because the child hears you and sees you practice it in every single circumstance. Elmo will tell you, I fall far short in this department many, many times, but we all are encouraged to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Vine Church, friends, family, and our visitors today, I want to just close with a prayer. I give thanks for our beautiful little Amy. I give thanks for all the babies, past, present, and future. I give thanks for every person in this room. I pray you would release an anointing of thanksgiving upon every single one. And you would lift all discouragement, all fears. Don't let anybody connect their mind with the past or the circumstance, but connect it with what you say about them. Your hand is on them to raise them up and form them and shape them into being strong, mighty warriors for the living God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to raise every child with those three awesome biblical tools, but help us to model it, to model it, because modeling it will do 10 times more than speaking it. And encourage every person in this room, God, some of them have been in that cave, some of them have been in that place where they didn't think there are any left. Every single one they've loved and blessed seems like they don't call no more. They don't phone no more. They don't encourage no more. There's some very, very lonely people in this place, in this room. The minister across the road told me that they brought a bus here with, to teach kids how to understand the Bible, and he thought this could be boring for them. I don't know if any child will come. 350 children from one 500-meter radius of this place, 350 little children came because they'd never heard the stories of the Bible before and loved it. Not one of them. The children are hungry for people that will model what Jesus modeled. Thank you for listening. May God bless you and may he release a supernatural anointing of thanksgiving on each of your lives this week. Let's give it up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you.